He came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Sunday morning. One great show for you today to let you know what the heck is going on. Ambassador Rooney, formerly of the Vatican, he knows the real story of what's going on in the Ukraine. We have uh, Senator Ron Johnson. What's going on in our country? Spoken for Middle America. Newt Gingrich. Well, he's one smart guy. What's going on with the speaker's race? What's going on with Georgia? Mario Konomo. What's going on in Europe? Dr. Peter Michalos, how are we going to live longer? We have Secretary Mike Pompeo to go around the world. We have so many problems. And with us this morning is the star reporter for the New York Post, Miranda Devine. Uh, Miranda, uh, what have you evaluated so far about Elon Musk? Hi, John. Great to be with you. Well, look, I think that Elon Musk has done the country a great service by moving the dial just a little bit on the truth so that we know what happened in October 2020 in that egregious censorship of the country's oldest newspaper, fourth largest by circulation, the New York Post, over a story that was, um, I guess, detrimental and negative about one of the candidates for president, Joe Biden. Um, but uh, unfortunately, Elon Musk didn't quite do enough. Um, he left out the most crucial part, in my opinion, which was the involvement of the FBI in, um, in, in effect, pre-censoring our story. They knew because they'd been spying on Rudy Giuliani's cloud that the story was coming. They'd seen my text messages with Rudy Giuliani about when we were publishing they knew what we were publishing because they had had a copy of the laptop and they were having weekly meetings with Twitter and Facebook. We know from Mark Zuckerberg that they warned of an impending dump of Russian disinformation. We also know most recently, thanks to uh, this fantastic Republican lawsuit by the Attorneys General of Missouri and Louisiana, um, uh, that uh, Elvis Chan, who was just deposed on Tuesday, the FBI agent who organized those meetings with big tech and the FBI in San Francisco every week before the 2020 election, he has admitted that, yes, they did give warnings about um, Russian disinformation coming up. And we also know, even more crucially, from Joel Roth, who had been the top content moderator at Twitter. He was the head of their site integrity. He's now left, but he gave a sworn declaration earlier this year saying that the FBI had warned about a hack and leak operation that was going to come probably in October and that it would probably involve Hunter Biden. They were that specific. They warned the, the Twitter and Facebook that our story was coming Bottom line, Miranda, they conned the American people. 
They did. They interfered. The FBI interfered in the 2020 election. And not only that, they may have been doing so in collusion with former CIA directors, 51 former intelligence agencies, including five former directors. The Attorney General uh, seems like he has his own hit squad of FBI guys out of Washington. I mean, Christy, I know 99.99% of the uh, FBI people are very hardworking, legitimate people. But Washington, Washington is part of a big swamp. Uh, are we ever going to get to the bottom of this, or you think this is going to be washed up? I think it goes a little further than Washington, but yes, Washington certainly, the Washington field office and headquarters are the root of all evil. But they've been like that before, uh, you know, Merrick Garland came to the post of Attorney General. They were like this throughout the Trump administration, throughout several different uh, Republican attorneys general. Um, they are a law unto themselves. Uh, it doesn't matter who's in charge, whether it be Christopher Wray or James Comey, there's a cabal of very politicized agents there who believe that they have carte blanche to exert power and authority whatever way they like. That is unbelievable. Now, let me say one more thing. Uh, if I was in, in Washington's position, uh, in the White House, and I'm not going to mention names, the next call I would make is I would call NASA and say to them, cut out, cut out uh, uh, Elon Musk unless he straightens himself out. Well, they're already warning. I mean, they've explicitly, the White House, Joe Biden, have explicitly warned Elon Musk that he is under investigation um, for, you know, possible wrongdoing in his buying of Twitter. They've also warned him that Apple and Google will throw Twitter off their app store, which would be the kiss of death. Uh, and as well as that, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen uh, has just uh, a few days ago, she's also warned Elon Musk that uh, they would be looking into his purchase. And, and uh, Apple, this one, uh, Apple uh, uh, Saturday morning said uh, that uh, they are going to uh, organize to pull out of China. Uh, do you think uh, that's, uh, uh, have you heard about that yet? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little dubious, but it's certainly well over overdue. Um, you know, Apple is so deeply enmeshed, as so many American big corporates are, in China, and uh, you know, it's to to our great detriment. I mean, just the the controversy over TikTok just now. Um, TikTok is spying on Americans. They're yeah. hoovering up and lying about it, uh, hoovering up our private details, and our children are exposed. Uh, they have our voice prints as well as everything else. So um, I think getting out of China is well overdue. And, you know, Elon Musk is also exposed to China through Tesla. Um, and so I, I agree. I mean, it, it, you know, American corporates either have to voluntarily pull out of China now or they will be forced to one way or the other in coming years. Miranda Devine, thank you for the breaking news, and thank you for the update for all the, all Americans. And uh, we'll catch up with you on uh, Monday or Tuesday to see if there's uh, uh, additional news. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thanks, John. With us today is Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, former uh, CIA director, and number one in his class at West Point, and uh, uh, one smart guy. Uh, Good morning. Uh, how are you, uh, Secretary Pompeo? Uh, I'm very good. Good to be with you. Good morning to you as well. 
Uh, there's so many problems going on in our world and our country. I think it's appropriate for me to talk to you at this time to give us a, an update on your feelings. Uh, and uh, uh, where would you like to start? Well, maybe, John, the place to start today would be the ever-present challenge from the Chinese Communist Party. We've seen what's taking place there in China, big protests, uh, real protests at scale, middle class, uh, Chinese people who are just saying enough of these crazy COVID lockdowns, enough of this totalitarian state. And we've not seen anything like this since 1989. And I fear what we will see in response from the Chinese government is a crackdown that looks like Tiananmen Square. I'm praying for the Chinese people. And this impacts us at home as well. It's impacting our supply chain. Uh, and we should be calling to we should be calling out the Chinese government and supporting and trying our best to lend moral clarity to the demand for freedom that the Chinese people are making. I, I agree with you 100 percent. I pray for the Chinese people that are protesting. The Chinese government, unfortunately, I think, has no, uh, yeah, no, no standards on that. Um, what do you think? Do uh, you think there'll be any kind of results or anything? Oh, John, I, I think in the sh I think in the short run it'll be a real struggle. Uh, I think the Chinese will do everything it takes to disconnect them from each other, to use the oppression of the surveillance state that they have there, uh, and then physically to crack down where need be. But I think in the in the nearer in the medium term and the longer term, I think this makes very clear to the whole world that what the Chinese are doing to their own people, what the Communist Party is doing to its own people, doesn't represent the Chinese people. And I think over the long term, this will absolutely make a difference to them. Understood. Now, the other big item is uh, Russia and the Ukraine. Uh, there's so many rumors around. Nobody knows what to believe anymore. Uh, I mean, you were the CIA director. You still have a lot of contacts. Uh, give us your opinion of what you think is going on. So my sense is uh, the Ukrainians continue to make advances, albeit pretty slowly. Uh, but they are now back in Kherson, the last provincial capital that the Russians held. Uh, the Russians are losing soldiers at a really high rate. Uh, but it's wintertime, and that's going to be hard on the Ukrainian military and, importantly, hard on the Ukrainian people. The Russians have taken out significant pieces of energy infrastructure. So simple things like getting clean water pumped and heating homes in the winter is going to be really difficult. I think the Ukrainians are in for a very difficult three or four months, and the Ukrainian military needs to make uh, advances as quickly as they can. And we, the United States, should support them with the tools they need to do that. I regret that we have slow-rolled that equipment to them in ways that have extended this conflict. What do you think the end solution is? There was a, there was a, a, a room around on Thursday or Friday uh, that uh, President Biden is going to approach Putin himself uh, to create, try to create a, a peace. Uh, uh, have you heard that at all? So I have heard that. I've seen the same reporting. That there's no problem with dialogue. There's no problem with reaching out to Putin and talking to him. But in the end, uh, the Ukrainian people have made clear they want the Russians out. Uh, they're prepared to fight and die and risk their lives for that, to risk their own country for that. Uh, this was a, a Russian invasion. And it is my sense that the Ukrainians will be the ones that ultimately figure out what an appropriate relationship with Russia is uh, after this conflict ends, and we should continue to support them so long as they're prepared to do what it is they're doing. Uh, agreed. Uh, now, uh, with the people of Europe uh, and the people of Ukraine, 
Are they getting enough? Uh, I mean, like you said, we're going into winter. Uh, are, are they getting enough uh, supplies to keep them warm? Uh, is the electricity on in the Ukraine? Uh, what do you hear? So it's a mixed bag. Uh, President Zelensky has said that they only have power on in some of the big cities for a fraction of the time that it is needed. So there's going to be a real crunch. Uh, some of this is certainly caused by what Putin has done. But a lot of this, John, you know, was caused by decisions the Europeans made over the last 20 years. Frankly, some of the same decisions we've made here in the United States not to tap our own resources. Uh, United Kingdom is a perfect example. There's enough energy underground in the western part of the United Kingdom to serve the entirety of that country. And they just refuse to go after. So these are these are not things that Putin did. These are political decisions that the progressive left made about fossil fuels. And that's what's really going to come back to fight the Europeans this winter. I, I think they've stored up enough. But if it's really cold, it is going to be an incredibly difficult winter for them in Europe. And that will translate into higher energy prices for Americans, too. There's rumors around that you you are looking to, uh, or th- thinking of running for president. So, so, John, those rumors, those rumors, unlike many rumors, those are actually true. Uh, we're we're trying to figure our way, trying to make a good decision. Uh, it's not about me. In the end, it's about do we think this, that that we have an idea and an effort uh, that could put this country in a in a place which it deserves. I've been talking this last few weeks a lot about the problems we have in our schools here at home. Um, these are things I care deeply about. I've been in this fight for, for 30 years, and we're trying to figure our way through whether or not it's appropriate to reenter public service. You, uh, well, thinking of running for president, let me ask you some domestic questions. Uh, uh, you had a, uh, uh, you, you said to Randy Weingarten, the, the teacher's uh, union president, how you really feel. Tell all the American people again. <laughs> The biggest threat to the United States is if we refuse to teach our kids that this is a damn good country, that this is the greatest nation in the history of civilization. And Randy Weingarten, the head of the American Federation of Teachers, has been trying to teach a different theory in our schools, that we have a racist nation founded on a racist idea, that we have an oppressor class, that uh, somehow diversity, equity, inclusion, Trump, math, and history, and civics, that we need to get that back. And so I... I, I would love to have the chance to have that debate with Randy Weingarten. Let her present her case for why a cartel of the teachers' union, instead of parents, should drive what's going on in our schools. And I am very confident the American people would conclude that, no, we should make sure that parents are responsible for their kids' education, not Randy Weingarten. Uh, I agree 100 percent. And the people of Virginia uh, decided that in Virginia. And uh, and I think the people in uh, Florida decided that, too, uh, uh, and what Disney, the board of directors of Disney did, uh, I guess, decided to change leadership because uh, they were trying to go go woke. And I've been saying, go woke, go broke. <laughs> it's true. And in our schools, it's even worse than that. There's no competition. We need homeschool parents and charter schools and and choice all across America. And it, it wasn't just it wasn't just Virginia and Florida. Uh, school board races all across the country went in the direction of giving parents back the ability to control what the kids are being taught. And I think that is something that has to continue. There's a real grassroots movement out there supporting that. And I want to be, uh, I want to be part of helping make sure that this next generation understands uh, that this is a great country, that um, our Constitution matters and it is noble. And if we get that right, we'll, do, we'll, we'll get all these challenges from abroad fixed, too. 
Last question before, unless you have something, uh, uh, the border. I mean, it's out of control. Uh, I mean, I, I can't believe the way the people of Arizona voted, considering uh, is the, the migrants, you know, Arizona is under attack from its borders, including drugs. That's crazy. Um, uh, more people than uh, all of my home state of Kansas came across the border illegally in the last 20 months. Uh, four, four million people now and counting. It presents enormous risk to the country in terms of terrorists coming across the board. We can now see the damage that fentanyl is doing. Um, we had solved this one. When I was Secretary of State, we built a policy called Remain in Mexico. We had largely slowed the illegal immigration, and they came in and just ripped it up. Uh, and that is, that is not good for the country. We need to get it back. We know how to do it. This is a fixable problem, and we ought to get after it. John, thank you for your time. Thanks for giving me a chance to chat with you this morning. I so appreciate it. Bless you. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you. Looking for a little common sense? You've found it. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is uh, Congressman uh, Francis Rooney, also called Ambassador Francis Rooney. Uh, he was ambassador to the Vatican in uh, uh, 2005 to 2008, and then he served in Florida in congressional uh, uh, terms. And uh, he has a few things to say. Uh, Congressman, what would you like to be called, Congressman or Ambassador? Oh, I don't know. I think congressman is kind of a pejorative term these days. I'll call you ambassador. Ambassador yeah. Rooney, there's so many. You served at the Vatican. Uh, you, you must be a holy man and uh, respective of, uh, of what's going on. Uh, the, the number one question, the woke culture uh, going on in America, uh, going on in Florida until uh, uh, Governor DeSantis put his foot down and and Disney, the board of directors put their foot down uh, because there, there was expression going around Florida saying, go woke, go broke. So before Disney goes broke, they got rid of the old chairman. What say you? Yeah, I thought that was good. I think there's the right thing to do, getting rid of the old chairman and bringing back the old one. Well, and I think Governor DeSantis has done a great job. I know him very well. I have a high, re great respect for him, and he's faced it straight in the face with all the liberal media throwing arrows at him every day, and he has the courage of his convictions. I'll tell you another guy that's the same kind of guy as Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. Governor Youngkin has started the whole school um, parent role in school children and textbook problems and all that, and he faced them head on. That's how come he got elected governor. And I will, I will, um, I have met him, and he's very impressive, and I think he wants to run for president too. Oh, there's probably a lot of people that want to do that. But as he says publicly, what he's paying attention to is being the best governor he can be for Virginia. And he is being a good governor, and uh, uh, people are mm -hmm. very much impressed by him. He's a businessman that went into politics. And I met his attorney general in Virginia, too, and he's very good. Now, having served in the Congress, I think one of our biggest problems is not enough people that uh, serve in public office now Congress, Senate, et cetera, governors have had real business careers and understand the economy and job creation and dealing with foreign countries and things like that. They just don't know. I believe our country is under attack. What say well, you being a man of God, what, what, what say you about the, our, our, our uh, religions being under attack? Well, let's start with religion. If you look at the manual of how dictators take over, first thing they go after is religion. 
They move people away from their core beliefs. Hitler did it. Stalin did it. They all do it. And, and the secularists are trying to take religion out of people's lives and, and turn their values towards support of the state. They want the state to replace religion. They want the state to replace parents. And that's why we have to fight back vigorously about it. Now, Ambassador, uh, uh, you being at the Vatican, you have ideas. Uh, about uh, a month ago, I had uh, uh, lunch uh, with Secretary Kissinger. And 99 and a half years old, but he's sharp as a tack. And his belief was uh, that uh, we should not reward aggression on what Putin is doing. Uh, second of all, I had then a lunch with Admiral Stavridis, the head of NATO for four years. And his belief was we should, we should uh, divide up parts of Ukraine and give it to Russia. What's your belief? It's interesting that Dr. Kissinger told you that because what, what I've seen him say publicly is that he thinks that taking back that, – that, that we would have a very difficult time dislodging the Russians from the very west eastern part of the Ukraine and that we need to find some kind of negotiated settlement. I don't know what – I agree that we need to get some diplomacy deployed here. We need to get diplomacy that goes well beyond Zelensky that includes the United States, Germany, France. UK, etc., to uh, engage Putin <laughs> in seeking some kind of solution to this mess. I, I agreed, but maybe Kissinger has learned his lesson uh, from making the wrong decision about Cyprus and Turkey. Could be. Do you remember Could that be. one? Yeah, and and everybody, Kissinger, all of the past four or five presidents prior to Trump have all been wrong about China. You know, you said. Uh, you didn't like President Trump, and you were having differences with him, but not about this, though. I know, but 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 uh, what what a lot of people have said, foreign leaders have said to me, that if President Trump was president, Putin would not have had the courage to go into the Ukraine. Do you believe that? I don't know that I agree with that. Actually, I think Putin would have gone into the Ukraine because he had a relationship with Trump and wouldn't want to embarrass him. I think that as soon as Trump was gone, Putin's ready to roll. Well, that's what I said. If, 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 yeah. Trump was, if Trump was still president, he wouldn't have gone in. Well, yeah, but not, not because of fear of Trump, because they had a positive relationship. And I think President Obama is the one that pushed him away. Yeah, but Obama was the one that joked when he took Crimea and said, you're just a regional power. But Putin, Putin is a dangerous adversary and only respects strength. And so when Obama jokes or when Trump cozies up to him, and in some ways even George Bush did, it, I don't think it does us any good. George Bush cozied up to Bill Clinton like I did because I like Bill Clinton. Well, this, yeah, Putin didn't make his first moves until under the Bush administration when he went after those provinces in Georgia, Abkhazia and South Ossetia. Yeah. And uh, and that started the whole thing. And then he says, wow, nobody did anything to me then, kind of like the schoolyard bully. So he waits a little bit. Then he goes and takes Crimea. Understood. And then Obama jokes about it. What, what's he supposed to think? He's supposed to think, I've got an open table here. Yep. we got about a minute left. What else do we want to tell the American people? I, I took up most of your time, but tell me what you want to say. 
Well, I think we have some big issues in this country, and heretofore the Congress and the executive branch seem unable to solve them legislatively. We have a desperate need for some kind of immigration reform to get workers in here that our businesses need, but get them in here in a legal and orderly fashion instead of illegally crossing the border. That should be easy enough to do, but nobody wants to meet anybody halfway. President Bush tried to do that, and then uh, Marco Rubio tried to resurrect it in the Senate a few years later, and it both got scuttled. You know, we, we continue to vacillate about our role in the world, and I think that, uh, as the Europeans have said, we need certainty from the United States, and hopefully we'll be able to give them some of that at some point. I, I agree with you. Well, we're running out of time, and we, we want to... Uh... Ambassador Francis Rooney, thank you so much and uh, for what you do for our country. And I'd like to talk to you some more in the next couple of weeks. Look forward to it. Thank you, John. Thank you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. With us today is former speaker Newt Gingrich, one smart guy, a historian, uh, a politician, but by and large, one smart guy. And um, Mr. Speaker, our country, first of all, what's going on with Kevin McCarthy and the Speaker's race in uh, Washington today? Well, Kevin McCarthy has the same size majority that Nancy Pelosi had for the last two years. And, of course, with that majority, 222, she managed to pass trillions of dollars in spending and a whole bunch of radical left-wing bills. So you can get a lot done. Once you get to be speaker, his challenge is that at 222, he can only afford to lose four people uh, and still have 218, which is the number you need to be speaker. So right now, five of them have tried to sort of hold him up uh, and, and get him to agree to a variety of things. And uh, virtually everybody in the conservative media has uh, really told them that what they're doing is silly and destructive. And my guess is. By January 3rd, when they have the actual vote, he'll have he'll have 218. He'll be speaker. He's, uh, I think, been pretty effective so far in laying out that he's going to create a uh, special committee on, on China. He's going to create a whole series of uh, steps that uh, the Democrats are going to find pretty uncomfortable. And he's already pledged that the first bill they'll vote on will repeal the 87,000 IRS agents that the Democrats want to add. So... I think he's got a pretty good case uh, for being an effective conservative speaker. It's obviously going to be really complicated with the Democrats in the Senate and with Biden, you know, feeling like he had a good election, which he did. And therefore, he's not inclined to compromise on anything. And and, and as far as the uh, um, Georgia, Georgia's another question mark. Uh, two question marks. What's going to happen in Georgia and there's still two open seats, I believe, in, in California in the, uh, in the, in the House. Um, what say you on both? Well, well, first of all, I think it is a disgrace and makes us look like we're a fourth world country. Uh, you know, France votes all in one day. Brazil votes all in one day. California takes two months. It's just it's nuts. And, and it means you can't, in Arizona, it's similar. They're, they're the two worst states about this. And I think it really undermines public belief in the honesty of their elections. I think in both of the seats in California, the Republican is ahead. It's hard for me to understand why it is taking this long, except that they deliberately slow walk it. 
But uh, in the end, I think we'll be fine with both of those. There's going to be a recount also in Colorado. The Republican uh, Congresswoman uh, won, but she won with, I think, 643 votes. So we'll go through a recount, but she'll almost certainly win the recount. So, you know, I think Kevin is going to be the speaker. The Republicans will be in charge of the House. People generally agree with that. In Georgia, frankly, it's all a matter of turnout. Um, I'm very concerned because I'm not sure that the Republicans uh, realize how important this race is. The difference between Walker winning and losing is if Walker wins, they're at 50-50, and that means that the Democrats have to have power sharing where the Republicans have the same number of seats on every committee as the Democrats do. If uh, Walker loses, uh, that means that the Democrats will have a 51-49 majority and that means they will have an absolute majority on every single committee. So it's actually a pretty darn important race. Uh, it's up in the air. And I think the key will be if the governor goes all out, and he's been very good so far. Uh, he won a huge victory. He actually got 200,000 more votes than, than Herschel did. And if he goes all out and turning votes out between now and Tuesday, uh, Herschel probably will win. But it's it's very, very close and, and has not been, frankly, a very satisfying race. Well. Anything else, Mr. Speaker? Yeah, I think I think that uh, I would I would encourage everyone to, despite all the problems we have, I would encourage them to go into the Christmas season with a sense of joy, and a sense that you know, uh, in the long run, America will do just fine. Uh, we are a remarkable country filled with amazing people, and I'll just give you one quick example. Elon Musk's development of SpaceX and and reusable rockets is going to collapse the cost of getting into space to such a degree that 10 years from now it will become fairly normal for people to go into space and we will be on both the moon and within a few years after that on Mars. And that to me is just an example. There, There are breakthroughs in medicine, breakthroughs in Alzheimer's treatments, breakthroughs in cancer. So a lot of good reasons to be optimistic despite how nuts our politics can be. Thank you for everything you've done for America and continue to speak out for America. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Great. Look forward to it. Thank you. With us today is Senator Ron Johnson and just got reelected for six more years in the United States Senate. Uh, And uh, he's from middle America and uh, Wisconsin. Uh, Good common sense state. Uh, uh, Senator Johnson, congratulations. And and tell us, uh, what is your vision for the future and uh, what are we going to accomplish in Washington uh, uh, in 2023? Well, first of all, John, I want to thank you and your audience for all the help you provided me in getting reelected. Uh, it was folks like you and, and your audience that uh, made it possible. So, you know, what I did is I vowed if I got reelected, I would do everything I could to return function and fiscal sanity to Washington, D.C. Now, it's a, that's, that's a big undertaking. It's a big task. But the, you know, one thing we can do is we can you know, make a stand when we have the leverage to do so. Well, one of the things we've got a group of us, uh, I think we have over 20 Republican senators now that signed the letter saying that we will not, as, as much as we want to pass the National Defense Authorization Bill, we will not support cloture unless they include repeal or at least vote on repealing the vaccine mandate and reinstating those service members that were terminated with full back pay. Uh, that is common sense. Uh, the other thing we need to do is encourage the House, because they have the majority, you know, pass a budget, uh, have it be as fiscally conservative as possible. It'd be great if it could be balanced. If not, if you have to increase the debt ceiling, 
uh, attached to that debt ceiling, fiscal controls, things like the Full Faith and Credit, Preventing Government Shutdown Act, uh, the RAINS Act. Uh, this is one I'd love to see, reduce the size of the federal government through Attrition Act. You don't have to fire anybody, just don't hire anybody, including 87,000 new IRS agents. And then once you've done those two things, the House has to pass each individual appropriation bill, send it over to the Senate, uh, we need to do everything we can to put pressure on the Democrats to bring them up so we're not faced with what we're faced here today. We're three, you know, two months into the fiscal year, and we don't have appropriation process. And we, we're operating a continuing resolution. This is dysfunctional. It's inefficient. It has to end. So that's what we need to do with the majority in the House and uh, leadership in the Senate from the, the Republicans of the minority. Uh, I understand uh, now, uh, does the House uh, representatives currently or the new House uh, puts that budget together? No, that'd be the new House. No, I mean, Democrats, Democrats aren't going to do it. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's why we're in the situation right now. Well, I feel better that way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I understood uh, on Friday, uh, the Senate and the House uh, on Thursday and Friday voted to avert the uh, rail strike. You know, from my standpoint, the, 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 what we should have done is simply uh, extend the cooling off period and taken the people back to the negotiating table. But, uh, you know, in the end, th- th- that didn't pass. And we're, we now are going, you know, we, we said we can't let the rail system shut down. That would harm far too many people. Uh, so it's unfortunate that the Biden administration's uh, negotiations failed, that it came over to Congress. Uh, and, you know, we basically had to impose that settlement. Understood. Uh, uh, Senator, um, you have, I'm sure you have uh, 10 more things to do. We have uh, about uh, three or four more minutes. So what else would you like to talk about? Well, you know, from my standpoint, uh, we're going to be holding a, uh, a meeting on December 6th here in Washington, D.C. with uh, a lot of the uh, courageous doctors who have the courage and compassion to treat COVID patients, uh, people that are examining, you know, the safety signals that are you know, blaring at us uh, that the FDA and the NIH are, are ignoring. And so uh, we're going to have a closed-door meeting on all day Tuesday, and then uh, Wednesday, the 7th, uh, in the afternoon, we're going to have a, a public event uh, where what we discuss, based on science, based on peer-reviewed literature, uh, we're going to bring the public up to speed to what our current knowledge is of, of COVID, of the vaccines, what, it, what they are, how they work, how they potentially cause uh, vaccine injuries, and we're just going to tell the American public the truth. They're not getting out of the FDA, the CDC, the NIH. The border is a mess. I mean, uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, uh, from the House said that uh, he's going to uh, uh, bring charges against the uh, the Homeland Security uh, director. Is that going to help? Listen, I think, yeah, I think if the House uh, wanted to impeach somebody, they ought to impeach Mayorkas. Again, probably wouldn't be able to convict him in the Senate, but I think uh, the impeachment hearings in the House would be uh, important just to highlight uh, how this administration has not been uh, faithfully executing the laws, uh, the the tragedy, the the crisis that this administration's open border policy has uh, uh, brought about, and literally every community in America because of the flow of drugs. But, you know, let's face it, illegal immigration really isn't good for anybody. These are people who end up living in the shadows. We need a re- robust legal immigration system. And, unfortunately, the, the, the crisis right now with illegal immigration is making that almost impossible to stand up. 
Last question. Senator, Tuesday's the election in Georgia. What do you hear? Well, a tight race. And so uh, anybody that can support it uh, should. Uh, it'll be crucial for us to have a 50-50 Senate versus 51-49. I mean, 50-50 is just one less seat we need to win back in 2024 to take over the majority. But also creates parity on uh, committees. Uh, we, we can potentially then block some of the really bad nominees by, by President Biden. So th- this is an incredibly important race, and anybody who can support it should do so. Well, Senator Ron Johnson, Wisconsin, Middle America, thank you for fighting very hard for, for our country, and uh, God bless you, and God bless America. God bless you and your listeners. Take care. Thank you. You're listening to a show just focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Mario Economo. Uh, he's a banker, a former banker in Zurich, in New York, and uh, London. Uh, good morning, Mario. Uh, give us an update. What's going on? Yes, good morning, everybody. Uh, Thank you. Everything's good. Um, We're going to start off with President Macron of France's uh, official state visit to the United States of America, where he met with President Biden. There was a lot of circumstance and pomp. However, the reality is, and just beneath the surface, President Macron's not very happy. And he's not happy because uh, the Europeans are currently paying, on average, three to four times for American LNG, uh, the liquid natural gas, so um, than what they were paying to the Russians. So he's very unhappy about that, but he's also unhappy about something else that President Biden is doing, which is essentially the U.S. is opening its doors to European companies. It's encouraging them to leave and to relocate into the United States, where they're going to be all sorts of tax incentives and other things. This, of course, is very interesting for many of the European companies who are facing a major energy crunch, Uh, in the EU, and therefore they are looking for options, and the U.S. is a viable option because of the natural resources it has and because of the relatively low price of energy. So uh, President Macron is very unhappy that President Biden and the U.S. are offering this option to European companies, and this will essentially, if in fact it starts to happen, which I suspect it will, because we now know that the large chemical giant in Germany, BASF, is considering shutting down permanently its operations uh, in the European Union, uh, scaling back dramatically, and relocating to the U.S. and China, where they're going to essentially continue to produce. Uh, This will mark essentially the deindustrialization of Europe. It started, uh, it's going to continue, and it's not positive. It's going to actually have a negative impact on uh, European uh, payrolls. People will not be able to find work. And it will just get worse, but it will get better for America. And at the moment, the United States of America provides a much better platform than the European Union does. Uh, I would like to switch over to one other thing that the uh, European Commission president had come out and said earlier in the week, but then was somehow erased, although once something's out on the Internet, it's there. She had mentioned that there were 100,000 Ukrainian soldier casualties, uh, deaths of the soldiers, and she put a figure out there also of the number of wounded. That was retracted. It was removed. However, that's a very interesting thing because we've been told many different stories about the successes that the Ukrainians have been accomplishing in uh, the Donbass. Which brings us to the next topic, which is President Biden said that he is prepared to sit down and to speak and negotiate with the Russians and end to the war. However, the answer was very swift from President Putin in Russia, uh, wherein he said that he will only sit down to negotiate the end of the war if the West and NATO essentially accept the fact that the annexed 
territories in the Donbass are Russian. So uh, unless there is a recognition of those annexed territories, President Putin has said he is not open to any dialogue, and therefore the war will continue. So we're, we're, we're in no man's land still. We're in no man's land still, and I don't suspect there will be an end to the war, even though President Zelensky has come out in the last week and said he anticipates the war will be over in the next couple of weeks. I don't see that happening. Uh, Realistically, uh, Ukraine will be in this along with uh, the European Union until the spring at the earliest. There is one other very interesting story that is coming out of Europe, and that has to do with Holland, the Netherlands, where the Dutch government has agreed to purchase and close 3,000 farms. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but when you figure that Holland is the second largest exporter of food in the world and the largest exporter of food in the European Union, the question begs, if 3,000 farms are closed down in order to comply with European Union environmental mandates to slash emissions, basically uh, the methane from the animals uh, uh, that is produced, where is the additional food going to come from? Who's going to provide the additional food that those 3,000 farms that are going to be shut down were providing? So on the back of this, you can expect more food inflation going into next year and even the following year. And uh, you can expect a lot of people to be very unhappy once their livelihood has been taken from them and they're not able to continue operating their businesses. Well, Mario, that's uh, a mouthful. And uh, thank you for the update. And uh, and. Um we pray for, for the best for, for our, our European friends and as well because Europe affects the United States and the United States affects Europe. So we're all in the same uh, bucket. And uh, uh, God bless you. And, um, and we'll catch up again real soon. When you have an update, text me anytime. We'll put you on the air so uh, a million people will listen to you. Thank you very much. Take care and enjoy your Sunday. God bless. It's Sunday, three weeks before Christmas. And with us today is Dr. Peter Michalos, our in-house advisor on medicine, on science, and now also a historian. Dr. Peter Michalos, what do we have today? Well, today we're going to talk about something called the microbiome. And people ask, what is the microbiome? Basically, in our intestinal tract, we have a collection of over 30 trillion viruses and bacteria that have grown with us and grown up with us and coexist with us. We now know that probably about 80% of our immunity is handled in the microbiome of our intestine. The interesting thing is you think about your intestines as being inside you, but it's actually inside out. It's actually the outside world and our nutrients communicate with the inside world. That's how we get our amino acids, our sugars, our fats are broken down and absorbed. We now know that depression, anxiety, can also be affected by the microbiome. Part of uh, our happy hormone that increases our happiness levels is called serotonin, and a large portion of that is produced within our gut microbiome. They took uh, people who had uh, anxiety and depression, and they transplanted, they basically take uh, feces in capsules from people who have healthy microbiomes and they transfer it to people with unhealthy and they found that they got healthier. They found that people who had, for example, a condition called C. diff, which is a bacteria that can kill you, that overgrows in our intestine, uh, when they gave healthy 
fecal material in capsules to those people. That's part of the standard of care and treatment, which is pretty fascinating. So mental health and depression are associated with the condition of our intestinal uh, tract. I'm, I'm taking now a probiotic. Well, they're called probiotics and prebiotics. You want to feed and cultivate the healthy bacteria. There's a balance between the good and the bad bacteria. And it's not just one or two bacteria. It's about 120 of them working synergistically to do different uh, what's functions. Pre, what's prebiotic? Prebiotic is... For example, eating good food that has fiber in yes. it, that they, you're feeding it the right foods. That's what the Mediterranean diet is associated with less depression and less anxiety. And watch out for the alcohol until they have a, a, a biotic that will solve the alcohol problem. Well, that's another problem because we now know that there's something called leaky gut. There's a very thin line between our bloodstream and our gut. And that thin line is affected by alcohol and the absorption of bad bacteria sometimes can get through because it breaks down that that barrier that we have. It's a very thin one cell layer barrier. And when that gets disrupted, that's why certain foods, there are some people who even theorize that things like tomatoes, we think that tomatoes were uh, in Europe forever. They were introduced uh, by Columbus in 1492. And then you get something called leaky gut. And that's why animals avoid the skin of tomatoes when they're given an option and we now know that certain foods affect that thin lining, whether it's alcohol, whether it's uh, things like the skin of eggplant. So we're learning much more about the gut microbiome and uh, even certain cancers. Now they fi they're finding out, for example, that people with pancreatic cancer have a higher level in their mouth and their intestine of certain bacteria. And there are associations. So we're learning more and we're going to learn how to treat people with probiotics, prebiotics, and, the, and, and, our, and our microbiome is affected also by the soil. When we have good soil with healthy microbiome, it affects us as well. Now, um, if my stomach feels lousy by, by midnight, does that mean I had too much uh, uh, chicken parmesan uh, with uh, that tomato sauce? It might mean that you may have uh, fed some of the bad bacteria. And yes, if you have certain things that disrupt the wall, think of it as inflammation. When bad bacteria are able to pass the intestine and get into your bloodstream, that generates inflammation. Inflammation is associated with feeling bad. It's associated with depression, anxiety, and in general, certain inflammatory markers go up, like the sedimentation rate, there's a blood test, the C-reactive protein, and all these things are affected by the gut. And they now know that 20% of people, for example, with irritable bowel syndrome, suffer from depression and anxiety. So we know when our stomach feels bad, we're, our happiness levels drop and we don't feel as good. Now, what should I take at midnight? I mean, if I don't want to take that stuff, uh, I don't want to mention brand names, fizz, fizz, pluck, pluck, whatever it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. That was the song. But what, what should I take instead? Well, we're not here to give medical advice, consult with your physician, but there are various things that you can take to help uh, reduce. Well, okay. what would, in your opinion, what would you have? What I take, me personally, is I take a little Pepto-Bismol, which is, uh, works very well to quiet an upset stomach. And it's also great for a traveler's diarrhea because it has something called bismuth, which actually kills some of the bad bacteria. So we want to help feed the good bacteria and drinking a lot of water is another great way to flush things out just move things along so water is one of the best things uh, and healthiest things to keep us moving but i'll get up four times in the middle of the night with all that water what else dr mihalos 
Another interesting thing nobody talks about is when it's freezing weather, as winter is coming in the Northeast, the electric car's range drops 20 to 30% when it's below 15 degrees because electric car batteries don't work as well or efficiently. And we're also becoming dependent on rare earth minerals that we don't have here in the United States. And we have to address our supply chains, whether it's rare earth mineral for batteries, whether it's the materials for our antibiotics, our antidepressants, uh, and uh, our whole healthcare system is uh, very important and dependent on having the raw materials. And right now we need to have an operation warp speed as a country to start making all our medicines here in the United States. Understood. Uh, anything else? we got a, about 30 seconds left. Anything else you want to say? Well, we want to tell people to start preparing and getting healthy uh, for the new year and start making your resol- New Year's resolutions to listen to WABC to find out how to get healthier and stronger and happier uh, with all the health tips that uh, we provide. Uh, and what do you want for Christmas? We only got uh, t- 21 days to Christmas. Health, wealth, and the time to enjoy it. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.